What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling.
two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to episode number 266 of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast, a podcast that you can catch two times a week and download it from any of the places that you get your podcast from, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, TuneIn Radio, or my personal favorite, the Podomatic app. You never know who's going to be on the other end of the line when it comes to the two-man power trip of wrestling. And boy, oh boy, does that once again just ring so true today. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And look, I like to start off every episode by saying that. But nine times out of ten, it does end up becoming a true statement. And that is the case today. Our guest is the one and only Ron Simmons, a WWE Hall of Famer, a former WCW champion, a member of the APA, which is also another tag team championship team that he's had, along with Butch Reed in Doom. The resume of Ron Simmons is on another planet, but it's the reason that Ron Simmons is joining us that is the interesting part. Now, for months, and I'm talking back going to, I want to say, January, we have been talking about the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo down in Richmond, Virginia. We have been promoting it as part of the two-man power trip of wrestling business for months. And I'm going to stress again, months. Well, unceremoniously, this expo was canceled with two weeks to spare, leaving vendors, leaving guests, leaving wrestlers, leaving fans, uh, kind of with their hands in their pockets, not knowing what to do. Uh, there was a ton of backlash uh, over the weekend where there was uh, just a lot of shock and surprise at this expo that had so much behind it in terms of uh, superstars on board, the talent that was coming into Richmond, Virginia, and the planning that was going on, including, you know, on our end, because obviously our guest at this was scheduled to be uh, Arn Anderson. You heard Arn with us a few weeks back, an amazing interview. You could hear how excited Arn Anderson was to be a part of this expo and see a lot of his good friends like Jim Cornette and Magnum TA and Nikita Koloff and the Rock and Roll Express, J.J. Dillon, the list goes on and on. These great names that were all coming to Richmond with such history in Mid-Atlantic Wrestling and Jim Crockett Promotions and wrestling in the Richmond area. Well, with a few days to spare, this was canceled. So your boys, Chad and John Paz, sprung into action, and we decided to go ahead and try to save the show and try to salvage what was supposed to be a great weekend and try to do something special. And I can happily say that we will be doing something special on Saturday, May 20th at Hurley's Tavern in Glen Allen, Virginia. You can go to Facebook.com and type in Hurley's Tavern, and you can see the event that we are going to be putting on that is going to have the previously mentioned Arn Anderson, a former guest of ours, and Gary Michael Capetta. We're going to have another good friend of ours, the franchise Shane Douglas in attendance, former WWE diva Jillian Hall. Dave and Earl Hebner will also be there, as well as Ring of Honor's The Pain Train, Preston Quinn, who is uh, out there doing his thing on the independent scene. And, of course, today's guest, Ron Simmons. So, please, I want to thank everybody. Please listen to this. Thank you so much for your support as we put this event together. It was pretty crazy. It was very hectic. It was very stressful. But we got it done with 13 days' notice. 
and we're about a week out, and I'm so excited to get there. I know, John, you are excited to get there, but I know you're also excited to talk about Ron Simmons, and that's where we're going to turn our attention to this Ron Simmons interview. And what can you say about Ron Simmons? He's a crossover superstar, and I kind of say in the interview, he's our generation's crossover superstar. Um, when you think about his college football career, he was an absolute standout at Florida State University, and he just went on to be a natural at pro wrestling. And his story of coming through the ranks down in Florida, up through WCW, winning the WCW championship, and then going on to have a hell of a run in the WWE and ultimately be enshrined in the WWE Hall of Fame. Ron Simmons is a personal favorite of mine, but John, I know that era of WCW where Ron Simmons won the WCW championship is among your favorites. And before you get started in here, I just want to also point out that with this episode, since we had so little time to prepare for all this, literally just interviewing Ron within the last 24 hours, this the rest of this episode is going to be kind of a tribute to Ron Simmons, and we were able to kind of go in the archive and pick a couple interviews where there's some pretty good stories about the career of Ron Simmons shared by people who worked with him very, very closely. After the Ron Simmons interview is done, you're going to hear a nice little transition, and you're going to hear a couple fun stories from his former manager, Theodore Arlong, who you just saw him induct into the WWE Hall of Fame this past WrestleMania weekend. Then you're going to hear from somebody who was with him during the Nation of Domination days in Wolfie D, who was one half of PG-13, who you might remember, wrapped Ron Simmons to the ring Every night as part of the Nation of Domination, and you're going to get to hear how that rap came about and what Ron Simmons thought of PG-13, which is kind of funny in itself. And then finally, we're going to close it out with somebody you've heard from a lot recently on the two-man power trip, and that is Pete Gass. Pete Gass, the Mean Street Posse, and the APA were kind of married to each other for a little while there in the Attitude Era. But the story about how the Posse got put with the APA is absolutely hilarious. So we're going to end the interview with that. And you're going to really enjoy this look at Ron Simmons from three people who really worked with him very closely. So, John, now as I welcome you in here, why don't you talk a little bit about Ron Simmons and that era of WCW, which I know is among your favorite eras in the history of pro wrestling, and talk a little bit about what we have to look forward to down in Glen Allen, Virginia, about 20 minutes away from the Richmond Convention Center, with this, as I've called it, a celebration of excellence with all these great names. And, of course, your boys, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Yes, Chad, a huge, huge episode today with the All-American himself, Ron Simmons. But before I get into Ron, you know, I just want to touch on the meet and greet, the two-man power trip of wrestling con, if you will, the Hurley's Tavern Convention, the meet and greet, whatever you want to call it, the Power Trip Convention, the TMPT Con, uh, meet and greet con, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, this event that we're putting together at Hurley's Tavern in Virginia on 520 in replace of the expo. I mean, I mean, what more can I really say about it? You summed it up very, very well. You put it together very well. You summed up pretty much all the thoughts that I had to say about it. And it's pretty much, you know, it's a shame that uh, that's what happened with the expo and, and that convention is not happening because, like you said, we've been promoting it for months. And I know guys like Jim Cornette and Greg Valentine, they were promoting it for months as well. So, I mean, it's a shame that it happened. But stuff like that happens in the business, and that's why we're here to kind of pick up the pieces and put on a good show for you on May 20th at Hurley's Tavern. Arn Anderson, Ron Simmons, Jillian Hall, Gary Michael Capetta, Earl, and Dave Hebner, and a couple more. I mean, this is a... 
pretty good little lineup we put together here and i absolutely love it and it's going to be fun and one of many i mean we're definitely going to put on some more in the future but like you said let's focus on ron simmons the episode today the matter at hand pretty awesome to be able to get ron simmons on this episode pretty much awesome that we just you know where you pretty much interviewed him less than 24 hours ago and we're able to put this show together I just loved it. I mean, I am such a huge Ron Simmons fan. Like you said, I'm a huge fan of that era of WCW. Uh, maybe not a ton of people were watching it, but they should have been. There's so many great wrestlers and so many great matches, so many memorable moments. And Ron Simmons being the first ever a black world champion, winning the WCW World Heavyweight Championship from Vader was just an astronomical feat. What an awesome like momentous occasion that happened what a moment in professional wrestling and like you had said to ron in the interview and like he kind of reiterated back to you what a special special moment that truly was amazing night and like you mentioned to him and i know a lot of people that go back and they watch simmons pinning vader watch the crowd watch a couple people in the first row watch a couple people in the third row they go ape poop if you will they go ape shit i mean they go absolutely crazy when ron wins it was a total shocker nobody saw it coming and it's just awesome i mean i just go back there and, and you know on youtube or the network you go back there and, and you watch it and you just absolutely love it actually i really um i re tend to go back in all my wcw tapes that i've turned into dvds and i watch it that way uh, from my uh, my tape trading days but you know what a moment you can't put that moment over enough just go back if you haven't seen it. Maybe you guys hit up YouTube or the network or wherever you need to watch it. Awesome stuff. The first ever black champion in the history of wrestling is a pretty monumental feat with you know, in and of itself. And then beating Vader, shocking the fans. Jim Ross calling it cool, cool moment. Awesome stuff. Great to finally be able to talk to Ron Simmons about it. Obviously, Doom was an awesome tag team with Butch Reed, Teddy Long, former WWE tag team champions. What an awesome career. And, of course, Chad, you talked to him about JBL, talked to him about the APA, obviously the Acolytes, the Attitude Era, Farouk and the Nation Domination. You kind of run the gamut there. It's a short conversation, but a lot of info in that short amount of time. Awesome to be able to get him on the show. And it was truly great, you know, to be able to get him to kind of respond about JBL and kind of what he had to say about JBL. Because, obviously, you know, he's a hot-button topic as of late. A lot of people have a lot of opinions on him, and it was very cool to get Ron Simmons' opinion because obviously not only does he carry a lot of weight in the wrestling business, he is a very close friend of JBL, and he's got a lot of good things to say. And he actually said similar personality. So very cool to get that answer from him, very honest, very blunt, you know, no messing around with Ron Simmons. So that is great as well. And something that we didn't talk about, or you, excuse me, Chad, you didn't talk about in the interview, you know, I really wouldn't really want to talk to, about him anyway because it's kind of rumor and innuendo and stuff like that. But there's always these stories of backstage of, you know, maybe uh, in, let's say, WCW days, for instance, with the Steiner brothers, of guys being a little bit more, I wouldn't say bullies, but they're a little bit tougher. You know, they're, they're kind of pushing people around. Or, you know, the general attitude of some of these people were just that, you know, for the Steiner brothers in particular, they're not going to take shit from anybody. They might be practical jokers. They might be messing around. And maybe some people call it bullying, but you always hear the one guy that the Steiner brothers wouldn't mess with or the one guy that JBL wouldn't mess with was Ron Simmons. Why? Because he's one of the toughest individuals you will ever find. And they knew you mess with him or, or say anything, do anything to him, you're going to get your ass kicked. So, damn. 
This is going to be an awesome interview, and sit back, relax, and enjoy Mr. Ron Simmons. Absolutely. You cannot go wrong with Ron Simmons. And really stay tuned and listen to those stories by a couple of those people that know Ron well enough and worked with him well enough that uh, you get maybe a different side. You get literally three different perspectives about the career of Ron Simmons, and it's going to be so awesome to spend that day with him on May 20th at Hurley's Tavern in Richmond, Virginia. So excited to see everybody out there. If you're listening to this, get down to Hurley's Tavern. Come meet Ron Simmons. Come meet Arn Anderson, the franchise Shane Douglas, Jillian Hall, Gary Michael Capetta, Dave and Earl Hebner, a who's who of all the generations of pro wrestling, mid-Atlantic wrestling, the WWF, the WWE, the NWA, WCW. We're covering it all down at Hurley's Tavern, and you'll hear about that in the next couple of episodes as we get to 520 in Glen Allen, Virginia, and it's going to be a ton of fun. But, John, as the music starts to creep in, hit them with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over, damn, to Ron Simmons. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please visit our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, check out the feed for some legendary episodes featuring the living legend himself, Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Ray Mysterio Jr., Jerry McDivitt, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf, AJ Styles, and so many others. Also, while you're surfing the web, check out WrestlingInc.com. Yes, that is WrestlingInc.com. They are the number one wrestling news source out there, so please check them out. Also, while on the internet, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, ProWrestlingTees.com is your superstore. If you are a super fan, and you can please check out our page while you're there, you can check out Tito Santana, Paul Orndorff, Coco Beware, Magnum TA, Buff Bagwell, and so, so many others. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. May 20th, we hit Richmond, Virginia, then... Follow us to New Jersey as we hit the Legends of the Ring in Monroe. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017, because you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, a former WCW World Heavyweight Champion, a former WCW Tag Team Champion, a three-time former WWF Tag Team Champion, and of course, a WWE Hall of Famer. He is the All-American. He is Ron Simmons. Please enjoy.
the line today as a man quite simply known as an All-American. I like to consider him as the modern-day crossover star from the world of football over to the world of wrestling. He's a WCW World Heavyweight Champion. He's a former WCW Tag Team Champion, a former three-time WWF Tag Team Champion, and of course, how could we forget, he is a member of the WWE Hall of Fame Class of 2012, and I couldn't be any happier to be welcoming in right now the great Ron Simmons. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Oh, oh man, thanks a lot, Ian. It's good to be on with you, buddy. Uh, I'm uh, I'm so ecstatic to be talking to you today about the event that has now been salvaged and renamed. I've personally renamed it a celebration of excellence at Hurley's Tavern in Glen Allen, Virginia, on Saturday, May 20th, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. We're picking up the pieces where this Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo fell apart, and yourself, along with Arn Anderson, Dave and Earl Hebner, Jillian Hall, and Shane Douglas are all coming down to Glen Allen, Virginia, and we are going to have one hell of a time. But I'd like to uh, welcome you in and kind of get your thoughts on what we're going to be doing down in Glen Allen, Virginia, right outside Richmond on May 20th. Well, look, first of all, let, let, let's put it this way. Not salvage, this is better, okay? All right, let, let's, let's go with that route first, man. And then, secondly, I, I can't tell you, whenever I speak of coming back in Virginia, whether it be Virginia or West Virginia, all of those areas hold uh, very dear to me because most of my career was spent up throughout Bluefield, Thickly, all Roanoke, all through those areas, man, Norfolk I, and, and Richmond, coming through all of those areas. It's going to be something somewhat of me coming back to a home for me because I've got so much support from the people in the Virginia area, and this is going to be very special for me to come back and to say thanks to all the people, you know, that I didn't have the opportunity to when I was on the road traveling so much. Now I get this opportunity now at this point in my life to come back and sit down and actually have conversation with them and to say thank you. I'm really looking forward to this. And we are looking forward to it, too. Yes, and I like to use the word salvage only because of what with the circumstances regarding it. But, yeah, you're right. We are going to make it better. And when you've got guys like yourself and Arn Anderson sitting right across from each other, we know that there's, uh, there's definitely going to be uh, something special brewing in the air. But you talk about that Virginia area and the Richmond area, Roanoke, down to Virginia Beach. It was a real big hotbed for WCW. And obviously not too far from your biggest thing that happened in WCW where you won the WCW. World Championship, and I want to get to that in a minute. But if you can, kind of talk about that Virginia area and that WCW touring schedule, because not only those bigger towns, you guys also hit a lot of small towns in WCW doing some of those house shows. Oh, bro, I can't think of not many of the towns that we did not go into. And, you know, the best part about that, throughout my career, I often reflect back on areas like that when I speak of, you know, and places that wouldn't be, you know, as as when it comes to population that people would consider to be a big t- place for holding wrestling events and all. But it was special for me because it was banging, it was a, being a part of the crowd and a part of the audience there because they were so hands-on and they wasn't so far removed like in the bigger stadiums that I went on to perform in front of. And it was a special place for me to learn my craft, you know, to learn the business, you know, because it, the people were so special and so attentive and they were so supportive of me during those formative stages of my career and to where it holds a special place in my heart. 
and it, and it was a launching place not only for myself and a lot of other guys that were getting their careers started. The Virginia area, we owe a lot to it, and especially myself. So this, like I said, man, holds a very special place in my heart to come back to the Virginia area, Richmond, all the areas of, of Virginia. I, I love both parts, Virginia and West Virginia. It, it, it means a lot to me. That's, uh, that is so awesome to hear. And it's just like I said, you know, there's so much history with that WCW touring schedule and then the WWF, WWE, Richmond, obviously, it's still a huge hotbed for WWE. They're there every couple months. I mean, maybe every six months at this point. But just up the road a little bit in Baltimore, 25 years ago, this coming August, you became the first African-American world heavyweight champion and beating Big Van Vader for the WCW title. Can you believe it's been 25 years? And looking back, is that still probably your top career highlight of everything you did in the wrestling world? Well, you know what? And, and I you know, like to, don't like to go back in as far as like this is first. I like to phrase myself as this, right? And I have nothing, you know, no ill respect of with the country or native nation of Africa, but I label myself the first black American heavyweight champion, okay, because as far as I'm concerned, my ancestry is in this country, and that's the way I look at it. I'm a U.S. citizen, you know, and of course, that holds a special meaning and interest in my heart, and I relive it, and I can't tell you there isn't one day out of the month that I don't relive that, because anybody that has been in this business, whether it be male or female, they strive to get to the pinnacle of in their career, and that is becoming world champion. And, and, and it will always hold a special place in my heart, you know. And then who better could you be in the ring with someone like, like Vader to where, hey, the people know there's got to be a brawl, and which it was, you know. And, you know, it, it, it continues to this day to resonate with me as if it was just, you know, happened last week. And, it hold, and then not only that it holds a special place and meaning more than just becoming world champion is to have others come up to me now and say, hey, Ron, thank you for inspiring me not only to get into this business but inspiring me to go on to do things that I've had reservations about doing in life. So you can't ask for a better compliment than that and then to have purpose in what you did. So I, I can't express to you enough, you know, that, that means to me to hear people say that. So, yes, I relive it all the time. It's one of those moments that still <clears throat> kind of gives you the chills when you watch it because it's not only the fact that you, we know we saw your rise through the ranks of WCW, of course, tagging with Butch Reed, being with Teddy Long in Doom, and then kind of ascending your way up to the main event level. But the fact that crowd if you just isolate the crowd to see the people jumping, the tears of joy, the hugging each other, this was yeah. the Baltimore arena exploded when you won that world well, title. Is that well, you know that what? stands out to you? Hey, I, I, man, I, I'm glad you brought that point up because people often ask me that, right? And, and here's the thing. The, that came across, but it was a real moment in professional wrestling history because people think that that was a pre-planned thing. No, it wasn't. Ron Summers had no knowledge that that was going to take place until he got to the arena, okay? That's why, and I think it, it, it had to come across no other way than that because I had no knowledge of it, Vader uh, had no knowledge of it, and certainly the crowd had no knowledge of it, you know? It was a special, uh, it, it not only was special for me, or, and I hope for Vader at this as well, but it was special for the people that were there. And that's why you saw such a reaction 
other people crying, you know, and and and, uh, and the adulation that, that that came across when that match was over. You know, I it, it will go on to relive as one of the best moments I believe in professional wrestling, and certainly for myself. You know, without a doubt. One one of the absolute best, and I'm sure we're going to be reliving it like crazy on May 20th down at Hurley's Tavern. And just I want to jump forward very quickly, if we can, for the sake of time, and we move forward to the WWF. Obviously, we all remember Farouk and the Nation of Domination, but I think more right. people might remember now you're teaming with JBL, the APA, the Acolytes Protection Agency. Looking back on the Attitude Era, you guys were a huge staple of it. You were the enforcers. You were the guys that were almost like, next to the Undertaker, almost like the conscience of the locker room. And just kind of, if you can, I know it's hard with the time we have, but to sum it up, that association with JBL and the APA being so beloved all the way now here in 2017. Well, I mean, I can't even put it, express it in the words, first of all, what it was to be tagged up with someone like Bradshaw. I mean, it, it, it was just like a natural fit with hand and glove, you know, it will, it, it had no other, it had no other way to go, but to be a success. You know, he and I were just like two peas in the pot because we shared the same things out of the ring. You know, our interests were the same. We come from similar background. You know, he, he was a football player, he was an athlete, you know, college scholarship, all of these things, you know, plus uh, out of the ring antics, you know, were similar to each other. And we, and we had a natural feel for each other, which was in the ring and our personality. So there didn't have to be a lot of verbal conversation to go between us, you know, as it does sometimes with tag teams, you know. And as you can see, when you get a mixture of people together, it doesn't come across on the screen if they don't work together. But that was a natural flow with us. And we genuinely loved and cared for one another. And I think that's what resonates the most when, when people will watch us and it came across, you know, on the screen like that because we genuinely loved each other and continues to to this day. And then I haven't said that. I'm a little prejudiced for that era back then because I believed in getting in the ring, doing more wrestling than spending time with out-of-the-ring shenanigans, talking, and all of these things, you know, which was settled in the ring, which I believe people like to see more of today, you know, if you ask me. And I hear it a lot from the fans, a lot. And, you know, but, hey, times change. But I'm just prejudiced toward that time because guys got in the ring and actually wrestled, and that's what the people like to see. So I would love to see more of that even to this day. I think you, de- you guys definitely got in the ring to wrestle, and you guys, when you got in the ring, you hard, were hard-hitting wrestlers. But I think a lot of people were still running away from you guys, though, because uh, anytime you two got in, it was, uh, it was pretty physical with whoever was standing across the ring from you. Well, I mean, well, naturally, you know, the, it's to get in there and to make – what you're doing, hey, as believable as possible, and I like to tell you right now, that was our intentions, and that's exactly what we did. I mean, you know, that's the way we have come across. You know, we, like I said, we were football players, so you know, obviously, contact was now no big deal to us. You know, and professional wrestling is a contact, hey, sport you're using your body. You know, so as and I've always prided myself on being the best at whatever I've done whether it be football or professional wrestling, if you're not if you're gonna do something, do it to the best of your ability. And that's what myself and Bradshaw had those same type of intentions every time we step into the ring. That's to give the people what they came to see, you know? Professional wrestling performance. And that's exactly what I like to think we did and that's why I think it continues to, you know, give me 
and for me to work in my favor when people give me the highest praise and compliment, you can't ask anything better than to be removed from your business and still have people to say, hey, thank you, Ron, for those memorable years. Hey, you, you can't get any better compliment than that. That lets you know what you did was something that the people enjoyed. And this is why I am at this point now going to enjoy coming back to Virginia, the Richmond area, all, all of these places as I go on in my retirement now to say thank you. This is why I'm looking so forward to this event coming up here shortly. Absolutely, and it's Saturday, May 20th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the wonderful host of this event, Hurley's Tavern, which is located at 4028 Cox Road, Glen Allen, Virginia. You can go to facebook.com slash TMPT of Wrestling for more details. Ron Sim is joining Arn Anderson, the, the Hebner brothers, Dave and Earl Hebner, the franchise Shane Douglas, Jillian Hall, and how could I forget the guy who was the ring announcer for your world title win, Gary Michael Capetta, all under one roof in Richmond, Virginia. It's going to be a lot of fun, and, and Ron, before I let you go, the way we like to end it, we always talk about what the legacy is in wrestling, and obviously your legacy in football is just as heavy as I, like I said at the beginning. You're our modern-day crossover star. There was your Blackjack Mulligans, your Wahoo McDaniels, and your Ernie Ladd, but to our generation, you are the crossover guy, but what do you think your legacy is left in professional wrestling? Well, I would like to say this, like we just got through talking, man. Obviously, you know, it's becoming the first black, you know, world champion, heavyweight champion, as we've stated, but I would like for it to be this, hey, that I carried myself in a professional manner all as best as I could, and I always let the people know how much I appreciated them. That was the thing that means the most to me and I think that's why it continues now to, you know, to work as in my favor because, hey, you never or anything without people giving you support. And when you're out and you're doing something that has, has spectator interest. So those are the things that I value the most, and that's why I'm especially ecstatic about doing this event. Like I said, this is going to be much better, and I, and I promise you that the people will find that this will be to their liking and it's something that, I'm looking forward to, and when they leave there, they're going to also say, hey, this is much better because now we get to actually sit down and, you know, let them ask me some questions, bring those old pictures that they've had from years ago, and let's sign them, and let's take some new ones, man, and make this a memorable occasion as well. And if we could sum it up in one word, what would that word be? Oh, I can't. uh, Smackdown, but more so do with you, and that is, you know, my wheelhouse, which was uh, WCW, kind of, you know, early 90s-ish, and my favorite, you know, tag team, Teddy Longstyle, was Ron Simmons and Butch Reed, Doom. Love them. I love that you were Theodore Theodore R. Long. I loved you as a heel. What would your, you know, your thoughts and experiences like with Ron Simmons and Butch Reed and being put in that awesome tag team in WCW at that point? Well, I had a great time with those two guys, and I t- <laughs> sometimes they're rough, and sometimes what what you know what smooth. But I enjoyed working with him. Butch Reed, he was a character. Golly, was he a character! So sometimes, you know, uh, Butch he would be late, you know, like not show up. So then I would have to go out 
and take bumps from the guys, you know, to try to make the people happy because we had no doom. <laughs> you know, there was no tag team there. So, but with him and Ron, I had a great time with them guys, man. And like I said, that Butch was a character, and I used to do stuff to him and make him so mad till he chased me one day. I'm telling you, if he'd have caught me, I imagine he would have just broke every bone in my body. But <laughs> but he was great, man. And though that, that team was really good, man. I, I never will forget that. And what we're trying to do, too, since we're talking about them, which we, got, we finally got in touch with Butch. So uh, we're going to get out there in a little bit. It's going to be Butch, Ron, and myself, and we're going to have a Doom reunion, and uh, we're going to start going around doing a lot of autograph signings and a lot of stuff because nobody has had the opportunity to see us together except the time that when I married Crystal, and Butch Reed came back for that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I remember that. Well, I I definitely want to touch on that in a second, but I just wanted to go back to uh, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. You said, you know, you kind of pulling some pranks on Butch. What what are some things you did to get under Butch Reed's skin? Uh, well, one night, uh, you know, we had finished, we'd, we'd finished working, you know, and everybody got, you know, showered up and got dressed and got ready to go. And uh, I went in and I told Butch, I said, well, I'm, I mean, I let him got on all his clothes. He, everything's cologne. He's smelling all good, you know, ready to go. And I went in and told him, man, I know you don't want to hear this, but uh, they want us to work again. So, <laughs> so he... Uh, he got undressed and pulled off all his clothes. I let him got on his boots. He put everything back on, the tape around his arms and everything, man. And I didn't tell him, but then I think Ron might have went in and told him that we were ribbing him. And he looks right at me. Oh, and that's when the chase started. So I'm telling you, if he'd have caught me, he'd have broke every bone in my body. But I did stuff like that to him. Uh, what else did I do? One time I left him at a phone boot. I drove off and left him. And then I went back and got him. So he's cussing me the whole next to the trip and stuff. I did that with Ron Simmons, too, one time. Uh, uh, this story here, a lot of people don't know about it. We, it was me, him, and Bradshaw. I think, I don't believe, I think Ron then was the acolytes then. And it was me, him, and Bradshaw, and Godfather. I believe that's all it was. And we had this van, so I was driving a van. So uh, everybody, you know, we, we, you know, we're drinking a lot of beer and stuff, you know, trying. We were done working, and so we was on our way. That was the last show, so we was on our way to the town, you know, to fly home the next day. So we was drinking, having a good time. So we was driving on to the town. So you know, when you're drinking a lot of beer, you got to use the bathroom. So we was, I think, it was around Rochester, New York. So it's snowing, man. I mean, it's snowing all unbelievably. So I had to pull over on the side of the road. And so when I pulled over on the side, they let everybody out because they couldn't hold it. So everybody's standing on the side of the van, and they're fucking, they're pissing and doing everything. So everybody starts to get in, get in, and I'm not really paying much attention. So I thought everybody was in. So when Godfather and Bradshaw got in, I didn't even think about it. I thought Ron was already in. I drove off and left him in the snow. So finally, Bradshaw yells at me. He says, hey, what are you doing? You left Ron. But now I'm going about maybe a half a mile or something because I think they're ribbing me. I said, Ron is in the truck. So I think they're playing with me. But it was really true. So I had to get back on the side, and I had to bag all the way up almost a mile to pick him up. And when I got back there, he looked like a snowman. He was covered in snow, and boy, was he hot. <laughs> so that was <laughs> That was something else I'd done. <laughs> and I didn't mean to do that. I thought he was in the band. Yeah, it's so funny because you always hear stories from, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the wrestlers 
saying that the one guy that no one really messed with, like this, they said the Steiner brothers would prank everybody in WCW, they'd rib everybody. Oh, but they, brother, they I worked with them. I knew them, brother. Let me tell you what they did one time. We was in Baltimore, Maryland, and they had this the wrestler named Tommy Rich. They, they, you know, didn't know, you know, anybody that walked around trying to be a big prima donna, well, the Steiners would put them in their place, let them know, no, you ain't the big wheel here. So they took Tommy Rich, brother, and they taped him up with duct tape. They taped him all the way up. I mean, his whole body, he looked like a mummy. And they taped his head and everything, and they left just a little bit of tape up from under his nose. where he they, let, they left one nostril open where he could breathe, and they did that to him. They taped him up, and they dared anybody to take the tape off of him. <laughs> they were, they were, they they wasn't no joke. Well, they tried to drown Disco Inferno and the Disco Inferno. They that kid, they hated him. They tried to drown him one time down, and we were down in Disney. And what did they do to Van Hammer? Van Hammer, I don't know what he remember him, but he was back in the day, and he had this guitar that he was supposed to be playing. And they took the guitar and they cut all the strings on it one time. And when he went to spin it around. <laughs> It just hit him in the head. It did all kind of stuff, but man, they they were something. And where were we? It was in Charleston, West Virginia, one time, and they took they stripped Dallas Page, Diamond Dallas Page. They took all of his clothes off. He was at a battle royal. He was in the ring, buck naked. And uh, Sir Oliver Humperdinck was managing Dean. I think he was managing Dallas, and Humperdinck had to take his shirt off to give it to Dallas to try to cover up. Now you see Humperdinck, he's the, got the worst body in the history of the world. So you can imagine how that looked, but they stripped Dallas of all his clothes in the Battle Royal right in front of all the people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so many funny, like, rip stories, but, you know, you were talking about Ron Simmons, and I guess he was, like, the one guy you, you shouldn't mess with, you shouldn't rip, just he's so tough. And, you know, you always hear the story of the Steiner brothers wouldn't, you know, they'd mess with everybody else, but they wouldn't mess with Ron. Yeah, how tough. No, well, they, well, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't really rib Ron and that much, you know, because Ron wasn't a river. You know what I mean? So, you know, he, he didn't. He, you know, he didn't bother nobody. I mean, Ron, to, you know, mind his own business for his ribbing and stuff. So, they didn't, no, they didn't bother Ron. They didn't want no. They didn't want no part of that. We are the nation. The domination. I'm a lineman in color. Don't diss the man. Over bum, rush your mother. Listen what I'm saying. It's for real, not playing. Farouk is the man. Hit your knees and start praying. Yeah, man, it kind of sucked the way it happened. They, We flew up to the office and everything, and uh, I, I had written it all out, and we met with Jim Johnson, the guy that does the music, and... Uh, he he laid down a track for it, and so we got we knew we were going to have to wrap this thing live every night. So they gave us a copy uh, of the you know on a on a not a CD but a, a tape, a cassette tape, and, and gave us a copy of the music. Okay, and it was basically doing it, you know that, but it didn't have. Uh, we are the nation. Only had that like one time in there. Well, okay, so we get that, and hell, we're riding up and down the road every night, putting the, that instrumental in, and me and him sitting in the car, rapping it back and forth. Right, so we've got the timing down. Boom, we've got it nailed. So we get to Survivor Series, uh, and that that was the debut of it in us. 
and uh, you know we're we're before the show and everything, and there comes Vince, and we're supposed to fucking walk out and do this thing for Vince right there. Boom, we get live mics, we get ready to start rapping. They fucking change the beat and added in that we are the nation. They it played. It, it it kept coming in more times than it was supposed to, so which was totally throwing the fucking timing off of what we had been rehearsing in the car. So I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and so anyway, man, uh, it was kind of a scramble for us to figure it out. We did it, I guess. I mean, there was a lot of times where, hell, I ain't going to lie to nobody, man. And, and Jamie wouldn't either. He has no rhythm, and he was he was he was playing off of me. And there was times when he would get off rhythm, and I'd have to jump in and try my best to get us back on. Yeah, it was it was sometimes a nightmare. I mean, there was there was a time when he was passed out in the dressing room, and uh, Davy Boy and uh, and uh, Owen had shaving cream him from head to toe in his gimmick. <laughs> And our music is fucking playing. They're telling us to go to the ring, and he's got shaving cream all over him and passed out on the floor. So I've got to pick him up, put him in the shower, rinse him off, and put a mic in his hand and basically walk to the ring with him and, uh, you know, try to do this rap. So, yeah, it was hard. (laughs) Now, I'll tell you, I went to, uh, this. I think, the second or third appearance of the nation at uh, Madison Square Garden, and here I am waiting for that music to hit and hear the rap coming out live, but it was actually canned mm. at that point, and you guys were coming out to a track. Now, was that uh, mm. at the house shows only, and was that something that uh, yeah, you guys maybe so. needed a that, night off? <laughs> yeah, I think that was just for that Madison Square Garden show, because that wasn't taped. I remember that show. Uh, so I think that was it. And see, you know, the thing about that, I'll tell you another funny story, how they kind of got me was, you know, okay, I, I wrote that and everything, and we laid the track down, and it's on it's on tape. Well, when they came out with the CD of the uh, WWE Music or however, what do they call it, volume, whatever, uh, and the nation, when you noticed, they took our vocals out of it. Well, years later, you know, there was, the Internet wasn't what it is now, back in 96 and 7, so years later, I find out that the uh, the overseas version does have our uh, vocals in it, and I've never received a nickel for that. And that, yeah, that kind of gets me hot. <laughs> it's always that overseas so. version, you know. Back in the day, the import that you go looking for, you got to uh, right. you got to find find that. Now, the nation's big feud was with uh, with Ahmed Johnson, and he's uh, been known to maybe be a little bit rough uh, from stories that we've heard uh, circulated around the uh, the net. Is it true? What was it like to uh, to take a shot from Ahmed there in the midst of that huge feud at the time? Well, I just knew, I mean, and this is going to sound bad, but me and Jamie both knew, you know, we were way better workers than what he was. So, you know, like I said, we were always trying to find spots for ourselves. So, we, I mean, Ahmed was cool. We were cool with him and everything. We are like, Ahmed, hey, let's do this. We'll, when this happens, you know, we'll, we'll do this or whatever. And if you if you ever watch uh, you know Royal Rumble there at the end, uh, I'm, I think I feed into him and uh, he press slams me, but he's so blown up he can't even pick me up all the way. And so when he goes to toss me over the top, I'm 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 at an angle and my legs catch the ropes and you know thank God there was people down there to catch me because I tumbled out on my head. But stuff like that, I don't really ever recall him uh, doing anything that made me go Jesus Christ or anything, but. Um, you know, he was just, he was one of those big guys and we were used to everybody being bigger than us, first of all. And so we were used to having to, uh, 
protect ourselves and to position ourselves um, for people that were, uh, i trying to think how to put this, uh, you know, just less than when it came to timing and working and stuff. And, I mean, because in Memphis, I said this the other day, man, uh, as a collective group, some of the worst freaking wrestlers I've ever been in the ring with were the Memphis uh, job guys. Uh, I don't know what the word for that is now, but the guys that never won, you know what I mean? Those guys, uh, they were terrible. And you literally had to, like, really, you had to really arm drag them and you had to really do shit to them. So we were just used to putting people in positions to uh, make ourselves look good, I guess would be the best way for me to put that. Now, the Nation of Domination, if you really think about it, like, what an eclectic Savio Vega, obviously you guys, uh, D'Lo Brown is mixed in, but of course the head honcho, the leader for Rook, Ron Simmons. What was it like working with him at that point? Because he was a huge star in WCW, former world champ, and now he mm-hmm. comes in and he's doing this like black militant thing, you know, with the Nation yeah. of Domination. What was it like working with him? I mean, so much different from WCW to WWF. Yeah, he is a, Ron's a great dude, man. Uh, and he... I think he appreciated us because, again, we were always trying to do something, trying to, you know, and it wasn't to, like, really, we weren't trying to get moves in or anything, obviously. We were, hell, trying to think up the best way to showcase ourselves, and if that meant taking a big bump for somebody, that's what we wanted to do. And he appreciated that, man. And he knew we were, you know, good little sidekicks for him. We were, we had character, like I said, as opposed to most of the other people that just stood around. Um, I think he realized that, that we could help him out. We could take bumps for him that he didn't have to freaking take, and he appreciated that too. And uh, but uh, you know, outside the ring, Ron was awesome, man. He liked me and Jamie, and he just, you know, we weren't uh, making the best des- decisions um, outside of the ring at that point. And he just thought we were crazy. He'd, he'd always say, "Man, y'all crazy, man, y'all crazy." And, uh, <laughs> We got we had a good rapport with him though. Now I'm very curious about this because now we've talked to a couple of the old school wrestlers that have dealt with Vince. Obviously, a lot of the the black wrestlers that have dealt with Vince, such as Kamala and stuff, and they're saying that you know Vince is is you know he's like an old school guy. Perhaps he's a little bit like closet racist and this to that. But mm-hmm. when you work for Vince, did you ever have the sense you know with your gimmick and all? You ever get the, the sense even with the Nation of Domination uh, associated? You ever get a sense that he was maybe a little racist? Nah, honestly, no. Nah. I mean, I didn't really, I didn't have a lot of dealings with Vince. I mean, I was low, low, low on the totem pole, so I didn't have to to deal with him that much. But man, I mean, the wrestling business is a jacked up place, especially the older wrestling business. I know it has changed a lot to where you know, if I were in WWE at the moment. I might not recognize the dressing room, you know, the way things are now, the way everything's changed. There's cameras everywhere. Everybody's got one on their phone. I, you know, I'm just glad there wasn't camera phones back in the nineties. I can tell you that much. Cause <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that I wouldn't want pictures of running around. Um, man. And, and, you know, every, the world in general is way different than it used to be. It's, it's nuts to me. Um, but, I mean, the wrestling business is, um, man, it's hard to really think of the words for it. It's always been a little corrupt. I mean, it came from carnies, you know. Um, it was a business in which you were trying to hide uh, 
a lie, basically, I guess would be a good way to put it, you know, before everybody knew it was a lie and you were trying to manipulate uh, people and it was a secret society. So you you think about where everything came from. You think about that his father was a promoter and, and that, you know, he learned from him and I'm sure that there there could be all that. Can, and now I'm not saying Vince McMahon is a racist in any stretch of the imagination, but um, I'm just saying, man, the business is different. I've seen all kinds of stuff in the business. I've seen things that would make people, uh, I, I call them normal people who haven't been in the wrestling business. And really, and I don't mean people that work independent wrestling. I mean people that have really made a living at wrestling. Uh, I've seen a lot of crazy stuff that would make normal people uh, you know, eyes pop out of their head probably or ears bleed. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, I, I don't know really. I didn't see that, but that's my take on the business and I, it wouldn't surprise me. You got to help us. 15 guys just beat us up. What's wrong with you? Please, we'll pay you. Come on, guys. Whatever you need, man, we got lots of money. Get the money. Whatever you guys need. You scared, too? Please, man, I'm scared. Get the money out there. Get it all out. All right, all right. I'll tell you what. You pay us, I'll tell you what. We're going to protect you, but you sit down and you shut up. One peep out of any of y'all. We're going to finish this card game. The deal's off. Protection? Acolytes! Vince did not. Vince was worried about favoritism with us and did not show us any favoritism. You know, uh, very rarely would he uh, would he talk to us. You know, he was obviously a busy guy, so but he um, never wanted to show us favoritism. You know, worked us hard, and uh, you know, it was that was part of the business. You know, we were getting paid to do it. Um, but after that weekend, when we we had the match, you know, that was on a Monday night. We do the show Tuesday night, and the ratings come out the next day so they have an idea and uh you know even Shane in the beginning when we were first you know when we were first at WWE for the first like maybe month or so um for the first month Shane would drive in the car with us and it was like old times it was like being in high school again or college and we were on the road and we were you know busting balls and having a great time and then I think Vince said you know you're not don't travel with these guys anymore you're going to put them in a bad spot because if they get TV time. It looks like favoritism. It's not going to be. It's not good for the company. So Shane went back to riding with his dad, and uh, the, after that, like I said, the ratings came out that Tuesday, and we got a phone call as we were driving home, and uh, it was like you know after uh, it wasn't SmackDown, so after we did the second Raw, and uh, it was Shane, and Shane goes, hey, he goes, uh, someone here wants to talk to you, and it was Vince, and Vince. Vince said, I just want you guys to know the ratings came out, and, you know, he told us about the ratings, and he told us how proud he was of us, and I, I will, to this, I'll never forget that. To me, it meant so much because, you know, like I said before, you know, one of the big things was us not, um, not wanting to uh, get anyone hurt, but it was also, we, you know, we did this stuff for the McMahons. That's why we never expected a paycheck at first, none of that. It was all like we were doing a, a a favor to the McMahon family, and we wanted to make sure that, you know, we we did our part the best to the best of our ability, and yeah, you know, that's which brings me up to another thing that I was going to say to you before. Um, I did remember it now. Uh, you know, a lot of people like to shit on the Mean Street Posse and this this, this so-called true fans and 
and uh, they, they like to knock the character. You see, I see it on the internet. Sometimes you see it, which I don't care. I could care less what people think. Um, but those true fans, or any other fan for that matter, if they ever think about the fact that they took two guys off the street with no experience, we had athletic ability. Obviously, I played college football. Rodney was, a, you know, an athlete. Um, but they took two guys with no wrestling experience put us in the ring. Now, you see all the training that these guys do on Tough Enough and all that stuff and how hard it is. But they put us on live television and, and told us to go. Go for 10 minutes and work and try to get your, you know, try not to kill yourself or get anyone else hurt. And we did it, and we lasted for almost three years. So when you when you take perspective where, you know, you have – Two guys off the street. I'd like to see those guys that have all those little comments. I'd like to see how they would do coming off the street in a ring, you know, and and taking finishing moves from, you know, taking a tombstone from Kane or, you know, a stunner from Stone Cold or a rock bottom or whatever the case is, you know, when you've never done it before. That's the fun, you know, that's the funny thing about it. So that's why, you know, about that criticism, like I said before, I'm, I'm writing a book, and that's, that's in, in part of the book about how, how that whole perception thing is and how people used to call us, you know, everything from mean street pussies to whatever, which that there's heat. That's, I want to be called that. That means, that means I'm doing my job. But when you get the, the guy from, I don't know, some, from some town or, you know, that he never did anything before, and he's you know he's probably been playing video games and eating peanut butter and jelly in his mom's basement, um, talking about making comments about how we sucked. I'd like to see his ass get in the ring and see what happens. So that's all. I got my rant out for the day. I'm pretty good. <laughs> now that's great because I'm about to go on another one right after you. So with that being said, with the people who do have those kinds of comments, it's absolutely ridiculous because I feel like there's a uh, uh, kind of consensus. Um, perception about you know people who had that role back in you know the attitude era or even before then in the new generation or even before that back in the old you know the the heyday of the 80s um people don't understand that guys have to fill roles and especially like you said you're coming off you know technically the streets and the mean streets but you're coming off the streets and you know you're getting into a full board nobody could do that these days because you see how a contrived show like a tough enough uh, builds a narrative rather than lets it develop on television like you guys did every week. And that's absolutely great. And those people can go kiss ass, you know, for all I care. But now I'm going to go back to what you were talking about with Vince. And that is to get a compliment from the chairman himself has got to be out of this world. But is your reward then going into a semi-tag team feud with the Acolytes? <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm going to tell you how that started. And that was bullshit because I got thrown into something I didn't do. We're on a plane g- coming coming back home, and Vince Vince and Shane are sitting in first class. This is before Vince had his jet. And uh, Vince has closed his eyes for a little bit, which he rarely does. And Rodney and I are sitting front row of coach, um, you know, for all that extra leg room that they give, right? So uh, they were sitting there all of a sudden – Rodney's sleeping and gets hit in the face with a magazine. And uh, Rodney goes to pick up the magazine and goes to throw it at Shane. And Shane gives like a Dikembe Mutombo type finger shake. And he goes, no, no, no. He, and he points over at Vince like, don't you don't hit him. So I, I, I just said, Rod, let it go, let it go. So Rodney basically flips off Shane, puts the magazine down, and closes his eyes again. 
Less than five minutes later, Rodney gets hit in the face again because Shane's, Shane's an instigator. And uh, so now Rodney can't do it because now Shane's laughing. Vince kind of knows what's going on, so he, he's kind of chuckling. And all of a sudden, Rodney goes up to the stewardess and says, um, excuse me, uh, do you mind making an announcement on the plane? Uh, can you let them know that um, wrestling superstar, WWF superstar Shane McMahon is on the plane and would love to give autographs to any of his fans when, they, when the plane lands, you know, after it, it, it taxis and, and stops. So Shane, Shane had to do it. And so Vince gets a huge laugh out of it. He has that big, deep, you know, that big laugh. And all you hear is that from first class. So Shane turns and looks at both of us, and he said, I'll get even with you guys. That following week, that Monday, we we were facing the acolytes. And it went oh, on. man. And it really, it literally went on for, I, I, it felt like forever. Um, and uh, it it sucked at, the, at first, but then it got to be fun. And it was one of those things where, I, it's you know, like, like I said, wrestling is all about respect and we Rodney and I didn't pay our dues. We didn't go travel to Memphis or other whatever other towns doing indie shows. And I get that. We paid our dues in a different way. Um, we basically earned people's respect by getting our asses kicked. And no one did it better than Bradshaw. I mean Bradshaw and, and uh, Farouk, because those two just beat the shit out of us every single week. And uh, it was just you know it was one of those things. And uh, Sometimes they beat us up tw- three, you know, three times a week. Sometimes it was two. But we just, it just turned into something. But I know for a fact that um, Bradshaw, Bradshaw told me months later, uh, in, in Memphis, he came and did a show with us uh, for for Memphis Championship Wrestling, and he pulled me aside and he actually said, made a comment to, yeah, you, you know, that night that he 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 wrapped a chair around my head. And uh, he literally, he told me at that point, um, yeah, yeah, I, I earned his respect that night. In fact, I earned his respect so much, he's actually doing the forward of my book. So, it's... Uh, yeah, all right. Yeah, so that's that's something that, you know, he's already... We're looking for a publisher now, so that'll be... Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And he, he was gracious enough to take time out of his busy schedule to do it. And, you know, I, I appreciate every bit of it. That is awesome, and you know, talking about earning somebody's respect, uh, you definitely did there. And uh, you know, you always hear stories about Bradshaw and Farouk. You know, you know, not taking liberties, but you know, being a little stiff and seeing if the guys can take it or not. And you know, that that's a great story of you know, you truly taking it, and then you know, him and him, you know, going out of his way almost to show you, uh, you know, his respect for you guys. Definitely, he's. Uh, if you ever listen to his his uh, his when he does his. Sh- the, the Monday Night Raw, and he, he always pays homage to the to wrestlers from the past, not just the Attitude Era, but you know he goes back to wrestlers in the 70s and 80s, and he you know he knows the history of it. And to be honest with you, I think every wrestler should. Uh, and it, like I said, it's all about respect and paying paying respect to people that have you know paved that way for you in the past. And it just it, it it's a it's an unbelievable profession to be in just because of that alone. You know, like you go into, you go to, you, know, you have a job, everyday job. I, I'm I'm in sales now. And, you know, people respect you, people don't respect you. In that business, 
you're you may not like me, but you're gonna respect me, and that's just you know that's uh, it's it's an amazing thing that whole the whole wrestling industry and being a part of it. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.